Hello and welcome to another episode of Vintage House. The Vintage House show, as you may or may not know, is the premier show dedicated to illuminating and preserving the lives, the music careers, and the history of house music pioneers, such as the one we have to be honored to host today, Mr. Robert Owens. How are you, Robert? Thank you. I'm grateful for you having me here. I'm fine. Very good. Well, we're, we're grateful to have you. Um, just as some additional background, the Vintage House Show is powered by the Modern Dance Music Research and Archiving Foundation, which is the only repository in the United States dedicated solely to the study, preservation, and the celebration of the genres of house and dance music. Our mission, in short, is to preserve the memories, the memorabilia, and the stories that support the sustainability of the culture we know and love as house music. Beautiful. Again, tonight, right. we're honored to host legendary Robert Owens, and we're gonna get into a incredible conversation. But first, I should introduce myself. I'm your main man, Mega, and I am joined by the co-founder of the Modern Dance Music Research and Archiving Foundation. I affectionately call her the super duper producer of the Vintage House Show, Miss Lauren Lowry. Hey, happy to be here at this historic interview tonight. It, indeed, it is historic and a long time uh, coming. We know that you have been uh, away from us here in the U.S., Robert, for uh, a years. couple of decades now, mm -hmm. true. Yeah. But in and out, I've been in and out. I think even before the whole COVID thing broke in heavily, I was there in New York performing, um, and it was really nice. Um, it was in Brooklyn. I can't remember the name. I'm terrible with names, so this may be a problem along our journey. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a beautiful. It, I think it was some sort of film studio there in Brooklyn where they do a lot of dates or something with a bunch of different rooms. It was a, at least 10,000 or more people in this this venue, but really, really nice um, to just get that experience of feeling that the home, homely kind of feeling of um, experience of being back in America. And um, some old friends that I've uh, hung out with in early years when I was actually living there in New York came down and um, we hooked up and hung out and when they took me all around town and to let me just see the different parts of um, Brooklyn and everything. And it was nice because even living in New York before, I mainly stayed in Manhattan. So I, I had never properly experienced Brooklyn. So it was really nice from even that perspective, you know. It just made me even think more about Chicago. And it's like even a few friends called me from Chicago while I was there. It's like, well, you might as well just fly on over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I wish it was that easy. But, um, God, it's like sometimes I've felt like I live on a plane more than I actually uh, I'm grounded anywhere. You know, I, this COVID thing has really caused me to be grounded for the first time for a while. Well, that the affection and affinity you have for home, as you described it, um, is certainly uh, one that the United States, uh, certainly the dance music scene has for you as well. 
uh, who are, you are missed uh, here, but we are certainly able to remain connected through your music. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, well, maybe you shouldn't be watching the show. No, I'm, you know, <laughs> no, but no, it's great. Even these um, platforms like the um, Facebook, Instagram, you know, I'm constantly in touch with a lot of people from America and just globally around the world. You know, people get in touch with me and I usually reply right back, you know, um, because I, I tell, I've, I've always felt that people are my lifeline and the reason why I've always done this, you know, without them, it would be no me. You know, um, my greatest inspiration comes from people and having conversations and talking to people and understanding how they just feel in general about their self, about life, struggles, things they've been through. That all, uh, th that's what you see in my writing and, and a lot of the um, songs that I'm putting out. It's just a reaction and reflection of what I've experienced through conversations and interactive um, scenarios with different people that I meet. I speak to. I, I really appreciate that. And of course, I, I was uh, sort of being facetious there in that we are uh, producing the show weekly so that we can introduce um, pioneers like yourself to the next generation. Again, our, our mission is to uh, help preserve and uh, ensure the sustainability of this genre. So of course, we have those that are new to the the genre as well as those that are also pioneers many of them mm -hmm. are guests and friends of the show and watch often and so for all one of the um landmark milestone um pieces that is in uh, if there were a house music hall of fame this would be there <laughs> uh bring down the walls <laughs> that was what a uh, Bring down the wall. Yes, fingers ink, huh? That's my the, uh, start. One of the starting points there was with fingers ink. You know, yeah, in the early days of house music, yeah. And you know, me and Larry Heard were like kind of, you know, we built a bond where we were had like almost a brotherly kind of relationship. At one time, we even stayed um, in an apartment building where we were literally almost across the hall from each other we could knock on the door and just come and check this out and he stayed either he stayed around the corner from me where he could call me and i could run around the corner and i'd bring my book and it's like oh, let me see i got some words i think a match that and um it was just this instant reaction from the beginning when i the first time i went over to his house um he just played music and i instantly matched certain words with um certain tracks and that became our formula you know for fingers inc and you know we just decided together to form the group after the, the first few tracks you know i think with the mysteries of love and um a path were probably the first early ones and then um at that same period that it came in with harold dennis yes and i, I started writing and picking tracks for him you know, I picked his first tracks to record and stuff. And then I didn't even realize at a point that Larry Heard was got involved in the it from one perspective. I'm saying, I'm telling them like, oh, well, you know, I can't be in the two groups together and all of this. <laughs> so I just picked the tracks from you. And they even the first track, Donnie, they kind of tricked me into actually doing that. I went to the studio with him and I stood in the booth with him 
to direct him and um, um, work the parts for him to tell him what to do and how to say the different parts and stuff. And Chippy was like, oh, you might as well say it and record it um, after hearing me um, trying to tailor it and shape it for him and stuff. And I ended up on the track, but it wasn't, it was by accident. I wasn't actually, I was just supposed to be there as like a, a guy to show him what to do and stuff. Destiny uh, manifested itself in that, in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what, what was um, prior to even stepping in um, a recording booth, what was your singing experience before church background um i've, I've sung with um the voices of, of cornerstone with james cleveland in um california before and um just a, a, a bunch of different various different churches uh, on my mother's side of the family it's always been a, a real religious kind of vibe with all of them you know so even me trying to come into the old more circular side it's like you're singing at double music but on that side i i um Anytime I was around them, it would, they would try to get me to sing and stuff, you know. I've even been to, like, little churches down in Warren, Ohio, where they stay in the past and might ask me to come up and sing and, and stuff. So it's always been there. But the, the odd thing was that I always wanted to be a background singer. I never wanted to come to the forefront. Really? And even at points when... Um, um, Stanley, which was one of the, um, I can't remember his last name. He was the director at um, the Voices of Cornerstone, um, the church where James Cleveland was. He tried to get me to sing a lead, and I broke down, like, I think after the first verse or something. I got to the chorus and just panicked <laughs> because all of the people. And uh, I wanted to go just back in the background and the mother's board in the front. They said, that's all right, baby. It's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, eventually, um, people just kept pushing me to the forefront, and um, I just slowly got used to it. But I, I never wanted to be a lead singer at first, so it's fascinating how it just turned around, you know. Well, um, you know, it, God puts us on on a path for sure, mm -hmm. and um, the opportunity is to, you know, if you want to tell them a joke. Tell them mm -hmm. your own plans versus what his are, mm -hmm. and um, and so we we're thankful that he put you on this path. The um, I'm very grateful that I'm I'm able to tell stories, and not only again not only my story, but you you're hearing someone else's experience when you hear um, the emotion or, or thoughts that I deliver vocally. That's also someone else's story that I, I'm channeling and, and trying to give, you know, and trying to connect um, others with, because I, I feel like in some respect, we're all interconnected from some angle or another. So it's important to try to reach out to the people from a global perspective. I, I, I hear you. And um, what's interesting, as you have alluded to uh, at the beginning of our discussion, is certainly the pandemic has attempted to impact that interconnectedness that we have. How are you staying connected so that you're uh, still being inspired um, to write and to craft these stories that- Well, thank the, thank the higher forces for the internet, huh? That, <laughs> that's how we can stay connected, huh? That's how we're all connected right now, you know? Absolutely. Um, and again, through these flat, 
um, through these um, platforms like um, Instagram and Facebook, you know, um, people just get in touch with me. I'm there all the time, you know, and people leave messages. And um, I, I, if I get a good feeling from you just through a conversation um, um, on the Internet, you know, I'll give you a chance. There's, there's a lot of artists, South Africa, all over the place, from Africa to Japan, um, Yugoslavia, it's all kind of places. I just did something with some artists on, from Ukraine. Um, oh, wow. In Kiev, cool. um, all over the place, people are just getting in touch with me, and and if I get a good feeling from them, I give them a chance, you know, because I look at there's points in my life where people didn't believe in me and they they didn't give me a chance, and I, I feel like you you have a responsibility to do the reverse, you know. I know how um, people have reacted um, in person physically when i've entertained them and yeah. that joy that um i've seen in people's faces i want to give that back i want other people to see that i want them to feel that you know then i feel like then my i've even wrote a track my living won't be in vain if i know that i've given and i've helped someone along this journey to feel some of the the um calmness and, and happiness that i've felt and the peace and balance that i've learned to that i've gained you know, um, overall to date, you know, you want to give that back. You want somebody else to feel that excitement, you know, and so um, it's a continuous journey and people continue to get in touch with me. And again, if I, if I feel something good and positive from them, I give you a chance. That, I'm not going to let like, you know, past restraints or any negative things that may have happened in the past. Yeah. Um, be a restriction on how I, I, I view anything moving forward. Well, you know, you're, Robert, uh, go I'll ahead. Jump in real quick. You know, you know, just saying that it's so clear that you have such a positive and calm spirit. And to me, that makes a leader that makes someone who's going to have longevity because you have that peaceful and fantastic spirit about you and of course, sort of what you're writing about when you talk about sort of bring down the walls, that's the kind of spirit and energy that the world needs. And luckily you're a global artist. The, 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 all of the negativity, huh? Bring down all of these walls of injustice uh, because behind it, you, you don't know what's behind it. If you blocked by all of this, this walls of um, negativity and, and, restraints you know it's beauty over there on the other side but you got to bring down your own personal wall so you can see it i can only lead you to that that river right. i love <laughs> you talking gotta to you cross it for yourself i, I love talking that you're so positive but you know since we talked about this i'm bringing up very quickly bring down the walls i know it's an interesting story about mm -hmm. where and how you wrote that song and how it came about tell us a little bit about you writing bring down the walls. Where were you? How did it come to you? What what happened there? Bring Down the Walls um, was written in Larry Hurd's living room and another scenario of him just calling me and saying, oh, I, I got a um, few instrumentals that I've been working on that I, I think you might like. And then um, I went over and then I listened to it. He played and I was like, okay, I got some words for it. And then I just come up with them words um, right then and there. And we sung it, and that was it. So, um, so it, it was never like a, a 
a, a scenario of it going into a, stu a proper studio. It was right there in his living room. Um, at one point, even the doorbell rung, and we was like, ah. And it's like <laughs> every time we would hear that, and like um, we performed in um, the Paradise Garage um, uh, with Larry Levan in New York, uh, and the bell would ring, and we'd look at each other. I didn't think I'd hear that's a mistake. <laughs> and so people funny. were like, they were like chant like louder when the bell rung like it was affected. I was like, so see, this is where like um, music really is, uh, or at least house music for us is really about a feeling. You know, if, if you convey the emotion and um, you you put something in a poignant, heartfelt um, that was coming naturally from your heart, somebody else is gonna feel that. I, I always tell people that um, I don't try, I do. Either it works or it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, even when I'm working with a lot of artists um, that send me music, um, I, I get a, a first an initial reaction, and I, I write about that first initial reaction, and then it's like, okay, if they don't like that, I have a, a backup plan. But I always go with my first initial reaction, and I never overthink something. I just do it. You That's know? fantastic. You did know, you did you work? You said I remember some time ago you mentioned you worked. At 16 years old, you got your first apartment on your own. Mm -hmm. Why decide yeah. to, why move at 16? What happened before that that made you become an independent at 16 years old? And then where'd you work? How'd you, you know, how'd you sustain yourself in that time? Well, in coming up in the urban environment around a lot of gangs and um, um, corruption, even within the family environment, you know, I, I've had young cousins that were killed in different things and it was like okay if you stay in this environment you're going to become a casualty even if you're not involved um within the system of what's going on there it was just a, a natural instinct to want more and to get away and it was like even i think about like growing up um even a, a lot of urban families in chicago at the time when I was there, it's it's a real big thing with the whole block club parties and stuff and the, and the picnics and holidays and people getting together for these family reunions and all of this. Um, I would always be the designated person to pick the music. So something's always been there in me musically or, or dance, the dance off dance contests. I would win this and do, I, I would always be the one initiating, trying to put groups together with even just different people that I knew in the neighborhood. So music has always been there. So it was a natural uh, need to escape that other side of what I was seeing there. So I, I wouldn't end up being a casualty in, within you know what was going on. And just even around um, certain gangs and different things, people just naturally would say, man, I see something in you. Even when I've worked normal jobs there in Chicago, I've worked um, at Evanston Hospital. Um, I was a nutrition assistant for a little while. I even worked in shipping and receiving. And then all of those different departments, people would want me to sing to them in certain times of the day and stuff. And it, it was like, man, you should get out of here. You could really be something. And so in every area, it was people that were driving me to say, it's something in you. And it's like, it made me look at myself even more, you know, whereas on the reverse in the family environment, it was people that saying, oh, you ain't never going to be nothing. You can't do nothing. And it's still um, my thought, but why? Why can't I? I'm not going to um, um, detract from uh, my 
my wish and hopes to be something just because you're telling me that I can't. And, you know, I, I just kept pursuing and that drove me out. And then I, I worked in um, uh, a theater. Um, what, what is the theater? Um, it's one on the north side. Um, God, see, I'm terrible with names. It's I'm but I, I've worked in a hospital, in a um, a, um, a store, in a um, theater at the same time. Plit. I'll be guessing the names, but I, I had two jobs <laughs> up north. It's up north. It's a shopping center with a, a theater inside. Century of, Mall. Century, Century Mall. And Clark. And, uh, yeah. Um, I, um, I can I can see the places, but I can't remember the full names. But I, trust me, I did work two jobs, <laughs> and uh, they gave me my first studio apartment. I didn't have all of the money, and he just said, "I see something in your eyes that I'm gonna trust you." And from that point, I was like, "Okay, I can make it on my own." Yeah. And from there, you know, I, um, I think um, the second apartment I got it, I, I had a roommate. And we started doing parties in apartments. And then I started working at um, pubs. And um, we did some university parties too where in the, the dorm rooms where um, we said we'd have our setup and, and play for a lot of the students. But um, it just was a natural thing that grew and grew and grew. And then in the period of me um, working up north in a, a, a pub um, is where I eventually met Larry Hurd through another friend of mine, Tony Harris, was, who was like a, a protege. I kind I taught him his first stages of um, mixing and stuff, you know, and that's where he came in. And it just evolved and evolved. But even at the early stages, I used to put my voice on cassette and play it over the tracks and just ask people what you think. And they're like, oh, he got something going on there. I wouldn't even tell him it was me at first, you know, so just, Music, it's always been a need to grow and evolve. And, and tell me, I'm just very curious about uh, your life as a DJ. How did you enjoy uh, DJing, moving the crowd with not just your own music, but, um, you know. I love it, you know, to just, again, to see a collective of people all happy and cheering and removed from their problems, removed from, um, just thinking about the next person next to them in any kind of negative way. If they looked at somebody, it was looking at them with a joy and a happiness. And so to see people just totally removed and in a state of euphoria, collectively all together, that's a beautiful feeling, you know? And it's like, that's another thing just, um, I've, I've always wanted to um, hold on to and pass on you know, and growth of, of like um, any country or anything I've moved in to, um, I can always hold on to that experience beginning back there from the origins of being in Chicago and, and carry that torch forward to anywhere I've been. It's the same principle, you know, unification and bringing people together and, and seeing them just unified and um, seeing them in a, a state of escapism from whatever they were dealing with. They lost it there in, in you know, in, within that environment of um, um, being in this communal atmosphere with people just all enjoying the experience of um, the music. And our uh, co-host, Lori Branch, who uh, apologized that she couldn't be with us 
but sends her love and appreciation. We send her, uh, we send her uh, our love as well. <laughs> we miss her. We miss her. And uh, other DJs watching, including myself, really appreciate that point of view. Uh, I'm wondering about how much of, you know, the that perspective that you shared goes into how you think about the music that you create. Mm -hmm. um, let's go back to, um, you know, your discography and another mega hit, uh, I'll Be Your Friend. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'll Be Your Friend. I thought, you know, even the beginning stages of that, I was like, what's a, a, a kind of basic sentiment that you can say that would translate in different languages easily. And I was like, something simple, like I'll be your friend. But and I had just wrote that down and put it away for a while. And um, 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 David Morales asked me to come over to, uh, to his house to hear a track they were working on. And um, him and a keyboard player was there and they had the like roots of it before the horns, every, before Satoshi got on it or anything. And he yeah. played that and I was like, well, maybe this sentiment could work with that. And then he just, he hooked the mic up in the bathroom. And so uh, I was in the bathroom, they was in the other room and, and I just did it and I forgot about it. Um, and I was like, maybe they didn't like it cause I didn't hear no more about it. Uh -huh. And then um, I think maybe a year or more, maybe a little over a year or something later, I was at the sound factory um, and um, Junior Vasquez wasn't playing there. Uh, uh, Frankie Knuckles had took over and yeah. we had started playing there. And um, he played it about three times. And every time it would come on, me and I was with a group of friends, we would jump up like, oh, there go that song again and start dancing. And then after a while, I said, oh, that's you singing, ain't it? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like um, oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> I had completely forgot about it. It was like, oh, it was like, oh. And then wow. the booth and they asked him about it and he just smiled. It's like, uh, this is a mixed day, but it did. And he just decided <laughs> to pull it out. So that song went on to um, be picked up by RCA Records? Yeah, and um, in London, um, Pete Tong, uh, not, uh, who was it? Um, Paul Oakenfoam picked it up um, for his label, um, Perfecto. And, and so it took off over there. And it, But I think when it, it it went to number one and I was in Japan, I think. Yeah. And somebody told me it was number one and I was like, oh, really? It's like, uh, again, I forgot about it. Um, but again, I think kids had got a hold to a copy of it and they started playing it on the radio and they they panicked. And that's when it, the labels and stuff jumped on it because it's like, oh, we losing some money or something here probably. Uh, because um, they didn't really take it serious at first, but it was the public they got a hold to that track and was like, nah, this is the bomb for us. And, you know, that, that made them react, but, you know, the and all of those, uh, <laughs> other ways that things go viral, this song really went viral. And we often, uh, also lucky. Thank you, universe. Thank you. People. <laughs> yes. We, we talk about not only the music and creativity, but the business of, of house mm -hmm. music. Not only did that song um, take off in the traditional realm, if you will, of, of radio play and, and club play, but also 
was licensed uh, to be included on a video game, I believe. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto. I've been to a friend's house and their kids are singing to me. It's like, I got you on my game. (laughs) (laughs) Again, beautiful. And they've just, um, I've just done, um, the Grand Theft Auto people have just got in touch with me again for um, a new game. um, They're going to use um, Visions on a, a new game. So they just asked me to, could they use that? That's hot. That's, that's uh, on a, a new game. So it's like, it's nice that they got in touch again and asked me, uh, mm. but you just never know with this music again. It's like, I'm constantly evolving and meeting new people and recording. Um, people don't realize the amount of material I just have there waiting, you know, um, but because, um, I'm always like, I, again, I, I do it. I'm sure about what I do, but it's like, I, I've been with people and I even asked them recording, I could do something as quick as an hour. And it'd be like, sometimes it's like, but you did that too fast. It must be wrong. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, well, do you want me to do something over? What you want me to do? Tell me what you want and I'll do it over. And it's like, well, no, let me live with it. And, and then they don't get back in touch with you. And you think, well, maybe they didn't like it. Then a year uh two passes and then it pops up. Uh, or either it can be the total reverse instantly. They they might like it and it's bam, it's out. Because um um someone um went on to track source and pulled my name up and it was like you know you got over a thousand things up here i was like really <laughs> and i didn't even realize that it's like just over the last three months the amount of music that's out that i because i'm doing it so fast and just doing it i keep figuring i have to keep evolving i have to keep moving forward on um, um just in case they didn't like it or, or you know it uh um i got to get this new message out or i, I might be reactive to um, something I've seen in a stream on, on the internet, something that people are going through or something that triggered writing. And it's like, I've got to get that out. And then some artists might send me some music and it's like, oh, that new track they sent me would be perfect for this thing to get out. You know, and it's all about um, constantly moving forward and, and thinking of ways to um, touch people and touch people's hearts and, you know, and try to heal. I think music has a, a healing power, you know, and, um, I've been fortunate enough, again, where people talk to me and they've said that different things touched them. And that's where I, you know, the whole thought of people being my lifeline really is poignant because um, I listen to what people say and their their thoughts. And it's like, well, if I touch them, I I have to, I I have a, um, what would you say? Um, I have to keep doing that. I have to keep, I have a purpose of, uh, I don't know the exact thought of, around how to say that, but. But that's how you, that's what you thrive from. Yeah, you say. yeah, yeah, definitely. Your yeah. writing is powerful, clearly, and has affected and impacted so many people. And it continues to do that. Where do you remember, I mean, not everyone at a very young age, you know, decides to write everything down and create songs. Certainly you're a creative and an artist. Talk to me about the beginning of your writing life were you how old were you when you remember writing down things that you thought were important so you were able to write things down and then also you mentioned in another discussion that you were at Evanston Hospital and you were also sort of writing things down on toilet paper in between shifts or while working yeah talk to us about writing 
when Fingers Link came in, it was like just thoughts. You know, um, I could be at work and um, I would do my, especially when I was in shipping and receiving, um, I could do the rounds in the hospital really quick and get it over with. And then I'd go hide in the private bathrooms and just write on the toilet paper um, thoughts. Um, um, this is before I thought about using a dictaphone or any of these type things, you know, uh, that uh, I thought would come and I was like, I got to instantly run and get it done and write it down. And, you know, that just, uh, that's something that happens to date, you know, where thoughts come and I try to quickly um, get the root of it written down because even from a, um, I could write uh, just a hook of something down and then write the whole song later around just that hook. And it's nice now with even dictaphones or everything, I can get the instant melody in, in, in my head and get it um, recorded and then go back and, and write the whole song around it afterwards. And, and what about that process um, from a, a business perspective? I, I'm assuming that, you know, everything's taken care of. I mean, for those who are aspiring writers that might be watching, you know, whether, whether the foremost um, things that as a writer you need to take care of to protect your intellectual pro property and creativity? Um, well, you need a, a good publisher, publishing deal. Um, it, you know, that's very important to protect your lyrical content, you know. I think even in the earlier stages um, with um, Fingers Inc., um, we were with ASCAP there in America, you know, and so it was important to protect your, your, the the composition, musical composition, and the lyrical composition, you know, if it's two different people involved in that um, side of things to make sure that you're getting your fair split on it. Even today, when I'm working with new people, I tell them that it's important for you to investigate this and if you don't know about it. And um, I've even CC'd them in with publishing companies that I'm affiliated with and working with that um, it's like certain people there that I'm like, you speak to so-and-so and they can give you some advice you know, if you don't understand the whole process of um, publishing and um, PPL and these different areas that you, you should be aware of that people are collecting on your behalf and, you know, within the publishing, of uh, placing your material in copyright control until you actually get a proper publishing deal. But it's very important that if anybody that would care about you within this industry, they're going to try to help you in that area right off as an artist composer or a lyricist that you know that's something that I instantly try to talk to people about and find out because nobody never told me about that and a lot of people ripped me off over the years you know and it's like um I don't see what for because I'm very gi giving and feel like I'm a fountain flowing you know I've yeah. done stuff for people for free gave them ideas for free I put out a whole um acapella package on loop masters where people can go and sample my voice for free and make their own track you don't even have to use my name on it. And, you know, I did that to break up the whole thing of people being so greedy and so self-centered about um, their material because it, it's, it's like a revolving door. Everybody's been inspired by somebody. Everybody got their idea or their thought through listening to, to some other artist that was there, you know, and so um, you, you have to give something back in this industry. It can't be all about what can I gain. So I also try to um, throw out that kind of energy to people. You know, I'm losing nothing from giving. Wow. You know? that, that 
just sit chills down my my spine, right? I'm I'm losing nothing by giving. That's powerful and what a philosophy that surely has helped uh, continue to propel you uh, in this genre. Uh, I want to ensure that we touch upon some of, I mean, there's so many um, noteworthy uh, contributions of music that you've made, but I want to ensure we touch upon some of these others. Um, can you talk a little bit about Tears? Tears, okay, that's one where um, Frankie Knuckles was working with Satoshi Tamiye. Yes. And Satoshi was a fan of Fingers Inc. And he, he wanted to meet me and they wanted me to write the song. They had the, the instrumental. And so Frankie came to Chicago. He, he had put a feeler out that he was looking for me and stuff. So he came to Chicago to play. And um, I came out to hear, to um, check him out and, and listen to the track. And he played it and I listened to it. And I was like, okay, I'll go back home and write something about it. And um, I went home after his gig and he flew back to New York the next day. And uh, I wrote it that night and then I, I let my uh, mother and father, I was staying with them for a, a bit of changing between apartments. And um, I let them hear the lyrics and they was like, that sounds cool. And so I called them and recited them over the phone. And then he's like, yeah, that sounds cool. So he's like, okay, we fly you to New York. And so they flew me in the next day and uh, I went in and recorded it. And uh, it's, it's funny, then they just said, okay, you got to stay. And I ended up just staying <laughs> in New York and started working with Death Mix that became a part of Death Mix. But they actually, um, I, I think they, Frankie wanted um, Jennifer Lewis, the female at the beginning, to do the, the, the lead at first. So I, I, I kind of did a guide for her mainly. And the um, record company heard my version. It was like, no, nah, we want the male version. <laughs> and that's nice. how I ended up um, actually being on the, the lead of it though. Cause I think yeah. he, he wanted it actually as a, a female thing at first. Quick sidebar. So when you stayed in New York, did you stay with Frankie? Yeah, I stayed with Frankie. Yeah, we, we were roommates for about three or four years. Wow. Talk a little bit about, I mean, rest in peace, Frankie Knuckles. We definitely want to always pay homage to him. And when, when, when he had contemporaries like yourself of Frankie on, we definitely want you to give us a little bit of insight into Frankie, who he was as an artist and as a person. He is like a, a, a big brother kind of relationship with Frankie. Um, is like He enjoyed my cooking, too. <laughs> he wanted me to stay in the kitchen in between recording. <laughs> so, that's one thing we, we had a lot of fun with. But um, he, he was a great mentor for a lot of us within the house field. You, you'd think coming up, um, he, he, uh, I say brother for me, but father figure for a lot of people, you know, coming up, um, someone that you could go with. Uh, I, I took a lot of earlier um, things that I did, looping of different tracks and, and stuff. I, I had a lot of even material from Larry Heard that um, he didn't have no more because I was the ear. Larry is kind of more like a musical genius like just recording things but i would stop him and it's like no that's good and i he was like well i don't know and and i was like well i put it on my um tape and i i kept i kept a lot of things so i had a lot of splice editing stuff that i did and stuff that i would give to 
Frankie Knuckles and Ron Hardy, and they would play these things. So it's like um, I, I had a close relationship outside of the clubs with them. Was this real to real? That what what was the format? Um, I was used. I was doing splat. They had cassette. The Pioneer had a, a, a cassette deck that with a pitch control on it, and you could pause edit on it. I had about four of them hooked up, and I was pause editing things. Um, it's one thing I did call your mind that I gave to Ron Hardy, and he used to um, play it over. I was shocked that he played it, but it was it had um, a bunch of elements of different tracks plus my vocals overdub and overdub and overdub. And um, I was shocked they played it because it wasn't like something properly out of a studio. And just other different things I gave him. One of the versions of Path I, I gave Frankie that had Virgo tracks where I, I blended that in and mixed it and stuff, different things. But they would always have an ear out between like different people that knew us all in the circuit, be like, what were I doing? And I would go over and like, you know, it was always a fascination of what each other was doing and, and got inspired by one another, um, you know, coming up. It was like a, a big family with a lot of us in a close circle kind of thing um, with that whole house community. For those who are, uh, of course, going to jump off the show and search for your mind, there is a <laughs> version of that out on, um, uh, I don't know, this. But not the released version. It was, it was, the, <laughs> it was, that's the other thing. A lot of what the, the early heads in Chicago like was those rough edits that you did at home. Before they did, they hit the studio thing. That was the big thing with a lot of the the DJ circuit back in. Even with JM Silk and all of them, it was them them early edits at the house before yeah. they went into the studio. That everybody was like, "Man, you got that other version." That everybody was playing them up more rough versions. You know, that's what was hitting the clubs and really kicked off for a lot of us in that early stages. Yeah. Even with Jamie Principal, all of them, it was the early edits and stuff before yes, it hit into, you know, proper remaking of them. Well, let's go back, because you already not, you done brought up Mr. Principal, My Hero, and The Love of My Life, by the way. Um, so Radar. talk to me about the warehouse, y'all. I mean, so you're, you know, you've just gone way back and we moved. But <laughs> where was your, when did, when did you come, when did you go to the warehouse first? What was going on? Give us the environment inside and how old were you? How were you at, at the warehouse? God, I... I'm teen years old. I can't remember exactly, <laughs> but but I, I was kind of young back then. How did um, you hear about it? Um, um, a friend took me down there, uh, and I was like, "Oh, this is mad here!" And um, it's like all of these people look like um, caricatures from some old movies or something. You, it was just real. Um, different fashion sense with even a lot of the people that went that they had a, a unique set of style of the way they dressed, um, the way they danced, and it it was a, a real family kind of thing with people there. You know, from the staff to the punters and people that went there after a while, you you could visit there for maybe two or three times, and you could see it was a community that they all knew each other and that, that that was their safe haven and escapism from normal reality, you know, and uh, that's something, you know, that I've carried on with me again, you know, throughout my career, you know, that, that whole thing that, you know, I've tell a lot of people have asked me, well, what was it like 
back then it's like if you have any kind of environment where you know you you're all supportive of each other and it's a family kind of scenario you know you have the same thing that we had back then now you know, by the way different. i i'm the brains and the hat i'm vibing off of that <laughs> thank you i love it so did you meet Frankie there? Did you meet Frankie at the warehouse? And who else who uh, else do you remember being inside of the warehouse? I, I actually I met him there. And I went up uh I think um even um at one point I went up to him where we knew different people that knew each other and eventually, you know, they introduced me and we got to know each other. And I even remember um early stages asking him about wanting to play and stuff and i think he cut me or something and i was like okay i'm gonna prove to you that i can do this <laughs> and he's like I, um, I ain't gonna even go into what he said but it wasn't like it, it was something that it, it drew like an anger i'm gonna prove to him that i could do this and then it, it's amazing how it turned around where i did end up doing it and uh i brought him stuff from fingers inc and he was like oh so kind of surprised, you know, uh, but again, it was like a family. I, I remember even seeing him in record stops, uh, record shops, um, uh, downtown uh, in Chicago and stuff. So, like, so did you get your food stamp check today? <laughs> but it was always a, like a humorous kind of conversations between a, a lot of us growing up, but still a love for each other. It was like nothing that you took personal or serious. It it was always a drive to make you want to do more and be better. Like, you know, it's all, it's all in the way you look at things, you know, a lot in life, you know, um, um, even criticism can be, it, constructive criticism can be actually really good. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, if you have your own individuality and, you know, it's like, constantly telling people that you got to strive to um, see your uniqueness. It's not about you being someone else's. You can be inspired by someone, but you have to tap into your own uniqueness. And even working with artists today, personal, uh, you know, on a, 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 a personal level here in Berlin, I always try to strive to get them to see their own uniqueness. You know, you again, you could look at this person and that person, but you got to tap into yourself because nobody else can give what you can give. And once you understand that, you're going to relax and enjoy the whole experience of growth and learning about yourself. The wonderment, you're going to tap into the wonderment of possibilities that can come. That's uh, uh, certainly a great uh, mantra to live by. Uh, authentic self is is what you know a lot of people refer to it as you were another uh, um, maybe a little uh, more understated than some of your others but ordinary people um, mm -hmm. was a song that I think mm -hmm. reflects uh, that mantra that mm -hmm. you yeah. uh, yeah. love that song I wanted to also ask about the process uh, I mean, you again, you've created uh, a number, the catalog is massive, um, but talk about the process of creating an album. Um, you go, the first thought is a theme. I go in with the thought of a theme. What is the whole theme of this, this album going to be about? And how can I tell a, a, a this, about taking people on a musical journey and telling a story from beginning to end? 
of us wait, wait, and starting with a, a theme, a concept. I have a new album setting there, but um, um, if they'll ever put it out um but publishing it's a whole behind me and even though i'm i'm constantly doing these featured artist tracks at the moment it is an album that's sitting there that's been there for about three years but um maybe they'll eventually decide to put it out and again i go in with a, a a theme you know and um i just follow that down it's um i did the last um albums i did for um compost records um Art was one of the albums and, and um, nighttime stories. And the whole thing is, it, if you go down it from, be- I, I even try to arrange everything so it's telling a story from beginning to end. And I've done that with um, this the most recent album. You know, it's a, a story about life and, and struggles and happiness, ways out of it, uh, um, different circumstances. Um, heartaches, breakups, happiness, all of this stuff going down, but telling an actual story. So I do actually think about the whole arrangement and everything of the way songs are placed it and yeah. wording, how the wording is telling a story all the way down from beginning to end. Can you do us a, a solid with an exclusive uh, sharing of the name of this album? Of the new album is called Naked. And it's not, it's not, like physically being naked it's um vulnerability um innocence i expose my innocence i expose my vulnerable sides to you i showed you um parts of me that i've tried to protect and close off I've, i'm showing you that naked part of me in that respective in sense wow that's a powerful title thank you so much for giving us the you know we're going to be right on top of it when it comes out we definitely want to make sure that when that, when that comes out completely Please let us know because we want to debut well, it and get it out there too. Said it's setting there, but it's, again, I'm working with people, and it's about them, you know, when they decide if they decide, okay, you know, because a part of they they wanted to even change part of it, but it's like, but it's mastered and ready. I'm happy. <laughs> but often, when you're working with a collective and stuff, yeah. um, you can't always get your way on things you know so um, i'm just being hopeful but i've shared that with you all you're the first people that i've shared that with so uh, we are i don't know about that. um and and wouldn't have expected anything less profound um right. than uh, a title and theme to you know talk about share sing about and celebrate the vulnerabilities of, of people. So mm-hmm. looking forward to that, yeah, absolutely. That you, you know, you trust, you put your faith and trust in someone, you know, and you open up to them, you allow them to see those, all of those different facets of yourself that you, you, you try to protect or you hid or you, you've closed off because of, you know, different scenarios that you have dealt with in life. You've been hurt or emotionally, you know, forced you to like lock things away but you found someone that you could open up to and and you exposed all of this vulnerability to them that's a good segue yeah sorry that's that's a good segue to sort of this this sort of interesting concept of happiness you know when i think about your life robert again you've spent more of your life in europe than in Mm. the united states would you consider, do you consider, what do you consider home now, given that? 
Oh, what is that? Papa was a rolling stone wherever he laid a hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's his song. Uh, it's like I could pick up um, right from yesterday. Uh, um, uh, I have friends there in America. If I if I was there and I seen them, it right today it would be just like we pick up like where I left off twenty years ago. It would be no different, you know. Um, of certain respects of me would never change. I'm I'm always the same around people, you know. So um, it's like wherever I'm at, you know. And um, I've done this recent track called "Talking About Family," and it's it's like when I meet you, I take you in, and we become family. It's face value. I'm not. I don't want to know your history and what you've done and whatever. I'm taking you face value for what we're experiencing right now we're experiencing right now, are, are connecting right now. I've took you in, we family. That's fantastic. We can grow, we can grow from that, you know, and, you know, and so I look at it that way. So, I, you know, wherever I'm at, you know, it's, it's going to be home, yeah. Did you feel really comfortable right away in Europe? When was the first time you went to Europe? So somehow you're in New York, you're in Chicago. Where was the first place you went? When was that? And how did you feel when you arrived? Um, I was with the label um, Tracks there in um, Chicago with Larry Sherman. You know? mm -hmm. um, we did the first house tour in London with David Levy. And I think it was Marshall Jefferson, Kevin Irvin, um, Adonis, uh, a few nice. of us uh, on this whole tour. Frankie Knuckles, I think, even played on one of the dates there. And um, from there, um, it just evolved, you know, the, the whole thing. But I think that was the first date with um, Trax Records. We went over there and it was London. So and that's great. There, you had a group of friends. Hmm? So you had a group of colleagues and friends with you. How did you enjoy I mean, what did you think about London right away? Were they embracing right away? I knew people knew your songs. Was it just a happy it, feeling or was it a nervous feeling? Certain parts. It was like certain parts, they, they knew it, and certain parts it was like it became overwhelming. You think um, sometimes we were doing two or three shows in a night and traveling on buses. We go from London to Leeds, Birmingham, Bristol, all over the coast, up and down, and just doing all of these dates all the way up to Scotland and stuff. Um, I think even um, we did a date in Newcastle and... Um, it was in this huge arena and they were playing hip hop. And um, I was like, I'm not going out there. They're going to kill us. And it's like, no, nah, it's going to be all right. And they had to really talk me into going out there because I was just a nervous wreck. Just thinking, oh, no, the, this whole separation of what I felt like hot hip hop people would think about house and all of this. It's like, there's a lot of, oh, that's that gay music or whatever. So, so this is just mindset is in my head. But uh, we came out on the stage and I started singing and they was just grabbing at us at the, on, from the stage. It's like, wow, it's just overwhelming to see that reaction from people, you know, um, how they embraced and, and us um, through, throughout um, England in general, you know, when we first came over. Um, it was first fear, but then it was like a, a, a instant like, ah, oh, wow, surprise. Um, and just got kind of comfortable there and again felt like home. It's like they just took us in like family. And even I remember like even like a lot of dates after the concerts, some of us would go back to different people's houses and just hang out with them. 
to just build an instant trust. And that's something that um, I've done to date, you know, over periods um, in England. Um, I've met certain families and stuff and went back to the home with them. Um, I grew up with the kids going to college and stuff where like the, the whole families will come out and see me whenever I go and play in places like Cornwall and, and just different parts of England. The, uh, the whole fam, the mother, father, daughters, son, everybody comes out. And I think that's really beautiful when, you know, you, you've experienced this scenarios where you get whole families that grew up with you. And I've went back to their homes. I've even done private birthday parties for the mothers and different things. So, and like been, uh, had, um, a relationship where we might be talk on the phone and stuff at times. And, you know, they check up on me and stuff, see how I'm doing and stuff. And they've, I've even had families meet me in other countries and uh, I put them all on the guest list and put them in the VIP <laughs> area and stuff. Uh, a whole family did that in Barcelona one time when I was playing there. And I was shocked that they planned the whole um, holiday around me doing this date. And we hung out and stuff, you know, so it's beautiful when you, you build a rapport with people and it's not just about you coming and performing and um, doing a job. You're doing something that you love and, you know, it, it, the people that you're performing for are a part of your whole journey of, of growth. We, we say house is a movement, right? Um, and, and from the story you just shared, we we're learning it's a, it can be a multi-generational movement. Mm. Um, but even like I've been to Africa and it's kids to come out. They say, my pops and my mom told me to come see you. And I was like, tell pops and mom, we, we got to have a beer or something. <laughs> to come out. It's like, and even here, um, all over, it's like a lot of the young generation, it's their, their parents that told them to check me out. And I think that's really beautiful when it's evolved, you know, in that way, you know, from the, the parents down to the, the children, you know, it's nice. That, that, that is. And, and again, um, because the music is a, a, about, you know, reflection, uh, mm -hmm. love, peace, unity, I think it's easy for it to be embraced across generations what what can you say about uh, you know you you brought up the scenario where you were on the bill to perform at a mixed genre concert hip-hop and house music mm -hmm. you know what can you say about house music and its um you know thematic uh, peace you know message of of peace and unity and and love and and that sort of thing well it's that i think that theme has been there from the origins you know you think a lot of even um a lot of those singers come out of church backgrounds and things or either they, they come out of um um struggling scenarios where they had to fight um for survival, you you think I come up with a lot of the, I come out of in the disco era actually coming up with the Johnson Browns and um, Lolita Holloway and different people. Um, I performed with some of these people and they you know they they those were like mother figures and stuff. I remember many times being in the dressing room with Lolita and she telling me stories and like I got to show you some lessons maybe about this or that and. Uh, 
even being at Jocelyn's house or performing with Grace Jones, a bunch of people, you know, it's like I have all of those kind of mentors to look up to that, that, and hearing about stories of their survival and yeah. what they went through in the disco era where they were ripped off and they had to fight for themselves, you know, and, um, to just um, have some kind of sanity within the system to keep going, you know, beyond um, people doing them in from certain certain perspectives or whatever, you know. Um, um, I, I have a lot of that in me that gave me a, a strength to, to persevere through different things. Uh, I, it's, it's certainly evident um, that all that has been poured into you has helped uh, you sustain, and, and again, going back to your quote of, of um, and I'm going to not get this right, but uh, not taking, but giving, right? Mm -hmm. you, you have been able to uh, really reciprocate what you've received, mm -hmm. and it's, it's created... Um, very important, I think, you know, to have that kind of... It's, it's a good feeling to know that you know you... You, you have that attitude to want to give, you know, and it's all not just about what can I gain from this, you know, reason and purpose, I've said to a, a few people, it's very important why you're involved in any scenario or situation. Hashtag yeah. reason and purpose. That's true. Mm -hmm. You know, Robert, we don't want to keep you all night. We would, uh, but, you know, I think all of us have things to do. And it's, just, it's not getting that you. late in Thank Berlin. Thank you for having me here. I'm grateful. Well, we have, you know, at some point, I, we do want to bring you back on at some point again and do sort of a round two of this and really talk more about the business of house. You know, we're not, when we talk about recording these, these projects, sometimes you're in people's houses, basements, bathrooms. I mm. want to know more about the studios you were in in the mm. 90s and today, you know, where you were recording these things. You know, mm -hmm. we want to talk more about agencies and representation. You know, what was what happened bad, what happened good, who were some of the players back in the day. Um, so there's so much we've missed that mm -hmm. we really yeah, should. Round two. I'll be ready for round two. <laughs> but before you leave, I want a couple of sort of Chicago rapid fire questions. So mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a couple of names and scenarios or things. And you just tell me sort of the first couple things that come to your mind about mm -hmm. these people or about these projects or about these places, okay? Mm -hmm. So you're ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Harry Dennis, talk to me about Harry Dennis. Harry Dennis, um, very emotional person that, you know, um, I think he got did in by a few different women and that's, that's how the whole <laughs> Donnie scenario evolved because he told me a story about that. And I was like, man, that's a shame. And it's like, okay, let's go. And then I gave him like my little parts, Don, 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 Don. And we just did it and thought about it. It's like, um, so the whole song was about like a breakup of somebody did it me and stuff. But wonderful artist and very creative, you know, um, as far as uh, thoughts on, uh, rapping and you know he has his own unique style and really enjoyed hanging out with him and um, the period where we had chances to perform together and stuff were beautiful. Where is Harry Dennis? He's there in Chicago somewhere. I think him and Larry Heard had worked together for a while and they did a continuation of the It. The It first started um, with um, Harry and uh, a guy named Melvin. We had Harry on the show. 
here oh, and then they, they both came to me and I picked the track for them. Donnie is their first track to come out. Yeah. And since they got me to sing on it, the it became me and Harry. But it started out as Harry and Melvin. Yes. And they came to me and you know with a bunch of tracks and I picked that track. And so that's how I got involved in the the group and then um the distant planet Larry Heard comes in to, um they they brought me again a bunch of tracks um Harry did and it's like well what do you think our second track should be and I picked the music for distant planet and then worked on the words and stuff with him for that but um you know, I, I came in there and Chippy became a part of it as doing the the of uh, the recording of everything he came into it afterwards tell me what you remember about chippy i didn't know a lot he was kind of quiet around me i didn't really know a whole lot about chippy but a musically musical little genius you know but he was always quiet around me only when he wanted me to um, reduplicate something when we were recording he would say something oh yeah do that part again robert but anytime i was around him he was always kind of quiet he wouldn't say too much. He said little bits, but um, he didn't really talk too much around me. What studio were you in when you recorded that? Somewhere in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm terrible with names. Uh, yeah, I've been away from the city for a long time. But somewhere in Chicago, we, we recorded that. Huh? Got it. Yeah, right. I don't remember the name of the studio. Ron Hardy, what do you remember about Ron? Who was he? How was he as a person? Ron Hardy, another kind of father figure to a lot of the house people, you know. And I remember really being inspired by him. Even before um, people didn't realize that, like, um, I seen him actually in California, too. He, he used to play at Catch One um, in another bar right below the club there. And, um, my mother stayed on the same uh, block around the corner off from the club. And I got in there a few times to hear him there. So I heard him even before he was back in Chicago. And when he came back into Chicago, um, after a while, we got to know each other and hooked up and um, just built a, a, a personal relationship with him and, and grew with him even before he passed. Um, I rented out the place where he used to be famous at a, this club on um, Den One in Old Town. I went back there and rented out that place and hired him to come and play. And he was shocked that I did that, you know. And uh, Very you know, so nice. it was like me giving back something, you know, to show what you meant to me. And had a long conversation with him in the booth there and stuff and really talked to him, hugged him and everything. And I think a week later he passed, but you know, the thing to know that um, I got a chance to give something back. And you know, I think that's important. Again, a, a recurring theme that that would be a recurring theme throughout any interview conversation I would have to, with anyone. It's important for you to give back in this system. Um, it's important for you to let people know how you feel about them. Anyone that's inspired you or, you know, giving you faith and hope to be a better you and to give the best of you. You have to keep giving that back to others. You got to keep passing that torch on. And people like Ron Hardy and Frankie Knuckles, this is something that they did with a lot of young people, you know, that they gave them 
hope and um, inspired them to want to be better people and to give of themselves and not allow restraints or, or things, even if you come from um, um, urban environments, poor areas or something, you know, these people saw something beautiful in you and they, they showed you a way out, even through your, 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 your um, cheap minimal productions on just uh, a 303 or a 909, 808 or something um, with a, a mic and a voice, they still played that against a full orchestral Philadelphia Sounds production. And people danced to it. People felt into a euphoric state of mind through listening to your minimal stuff. And it's like all of this is in, uh, um, um, thoughts that you have to pass on. That's fantastic. The last one. I would hope that artists would. <laughs> Look, you know, we're, we're, hoping, we're trying to we're trying to right now uh, encourage uh, that mm -hmm. kind of cross support for others. My last one is: tell me what you remember about your uh, boiler room set with Frankie Knuckles. The put they asked me would I, I open for Frankie. I was like, of course, and. Uh, it was beautiful because I got a chance to talk to him and stuff um, after the set and stuff. And he wanted me to actually come back to Chicago. And uh, uh, the plan was to come back and even stay with him for a little while and record with him again, you know, so it was like just instantly seeing him and I just grabbed him, you know, and, and hugged him. And it's like, um, this breaks down anything, anything if a person was feeling something negative, knowing it, because it's like, you got to go back to what we really, find your balance in the middle. We have meant something to each other. We have given something to the world that they enjoy. Always look at that first. We, you can have um, dispute, family disputes and disagreements with each other, but let's come back to the middle, to the balance level. And I've always had a, a good way of doing that with people. I could be mad at you, and then I see you, and I break that all down. And, you know, <laughs> I've done that, and instantly it's like, come back, and I let's record and work together. But um, he passed, you know, but just to know that that was there. And I got a chance to give him that kind of energy and he gave me energy, you know, to, you know, show each other love, you know, and that lives on, you know, so even, you know, still, you know, I feel like some of his energy is still channeling through me through even new things that I'm doing. He's there, Ron Hardy's there, Larry LeVan, they're there, you know, so always you got to reach up and feel the inspiration that anyone has given you, even if they passed on. Chicago loves you, Robert. Chicago loves you. And I love Chicago, and I hope to come back there soon in the new, near future to well, perform. I think, you know, the key is, like you're saying, giving back and, you know, cooperating with others. You know, we want to help however we can to make some of those collaborations come true to life. Mm -hmm. And you find the support and the love back in Chicago where you're selling just as much as you'd be selling uh, in Europe, in the United I'm States. Very grateful. I'm very, very grateful. Kevin, um, any any last words? I I think we need to to leave it here. I mean, <laughs> the um, effort of the Vintage House Show is certainly uh, reflective of what you just shared. Um, the opportunity to give back, as Lauren just indicated, you know, we hope that um, appearances on this show help foster. Um, interest in uh, additional collaborations. We also want to ensure that you're able 
um, to share with others, you know, what's next, what's new, um, mm -hmm. how can people continue to um, follow and engage with um, your creativity. Uh, mm -hmm. So we definitely have to have you back. Uh, thank you. Thank you. We thank you again for not only the time spent, but but that that nakedness, right? That vulnerability um, and and sharing that you uh, provided while with us this evening. Thank you. Where can everyone find you? Where can we find you on the well, web? I'm there media? on Instagram. This is Robert Owens on Instagram. I'm there and I'm on Facebook all the time. I said talking to people all the time. So. So this is Robert Owens on Instagram. Where else can, what are the other tags and handles we can find you? Um, Facebook, I'm there on Facebook. Robert Owens there on Facebook, but I'm mostly on the Instagram one. A lot of people <laughs> get in touch with me there, you know, so I think that's a quick, fast way. And I post a lot of dates and things that I'm doing there. So okay. people can scroll down and see, you know, different events and situations that are happening there. So we'll make sure to share that. Do you have a lot of your memorabilia, Robert, or do you? Are they, Not is it mostly really. I kind of lose things. You know, I've lost things like traveling and moving around. You know, so mm -hmm. I don't. A, a lot of people, again, like even on the face, people post things and stuff, and it's like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more people out there that have collected things and post things that I uh, that they collected and to remind me of. You know. And sometimes I repost something that they posted. Um, and this is where I feel really grateful, you know, that um, it's a lot of beautiful people in this world that, you know, have pushed me and driven me to keep giving. Yeah. Robert, thank you so much for thank participating in the Vintage thank House Show. We air on Wednesdays, 9, 8, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. every Wednesday. Uh, you can also find us on WNUR.org. We have our podcast at w at vintagehouseshow.com. Wow, I can't remember. We're on SoundCloud, and you can find us in different places, too. Robert, we will let you know when this airs, and uh, we will All continue right, to keep you. in touch. And this doesn't have to be a hard stop, but we're going to end the show. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great night, and thanks for listening and viewing.